Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters Podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, I'm Mike Connell and welcome again to the Oculus Insights Podcast. Continuing as part of our COVID-19 Veterinary Resilience Guide, I'm very happy to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Colleen Best, a colleague of mine. So welcome back, Colleen. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks for having me. So we're going to be talking about compassionate leadership. I'll get you to define that uh, in a bit. But first, you've had a bit of a circuitous route from, uh, I remember you in vet school and then internships and practice and doing a PhD. And now we're talking about a very, very important subject and how it's going to apply to the COVID-19 or any crisis in general, or probably any type of leadership period. So first of all, tell us what compassionate leadership is and then tell us how you got here. So compassionate leadership, I think, is an acknowledgement and an approach that allows you to be a human and a leader and a business person and a manager all at the same time. I think often they are considered to be mutually exclusive things where you sort of have to have business be business and friendship be friendship or, you know, those empathetic moments or those supportive moments that you have with people well, those are separate from high performance or those are separate from supporting your bottom line and your bank account. Those aren't true. And I think particularly right now in COVID-19 and sort of this crazy storm we are currently in as, as a world and as a country, as a you know, sort of at all levels, it's really important to think about how we can embrace our humanity, the humanity of everybody around us, and and be supportive and really compassionate towards ourselves. You'll notice I started by saying with ourselves first, and then to those around us. Right. How did the interest in compassionate leadership develop? So how did I end up here? That's a, I, I think of all the things I thought we were going to talk about today, that's not where I was, but it is a rather winding road for me. And it actually involves a quite a bit of compassion along the way. So I was a hardcore equine-oriented veterinary student, and I graduated from vet school, did an internship in equine practice, came back, worked at the practice I'd been at since I was a student, and for sort of a number of different reasons that just didn't work out. And so then I had this big crisis of, oh no, am I not meant to be an equine vet? What am I doing? And decided that grad school would be a good option for me. Also because I, as many of us have had, I got hurt by a horse when I was younger in my life. And so whether I was always going to be able to trust my body to be there for me was a definite question. So I started grad school looking at communication, client communications, the veterinary patient relationship in equine practice, turned that into a PhD by also then looking at the referring vet specialist relationship and sort of timely, that PhD was in epidemiology. After I finished my PhD, I've had two little kids. I've taught at the Ontario Veterinary College, and I'm now doing consulting as well as working in biotech, which is not at all where I thought I was going to be. And that has meant being kind to myself along the way, because some of those dreams I thought I was going to have didn't really work out. Or 
you know, sort of in some ways for the better, because I love where I am right now. And I, you might be able to hear my dog barking in the background and my children being boisterous downstairs. You know, it's been a winding road that has involved some kindness towards myself about those bumps and unexpected things. Mm -hmm. And so why did this subject become uh, such a fascination for you? Because I know as you're talking about it, and we were just talking about it before we, you know, we got online there. I've known you for a while and I can tell the tone of your voice. This is something that really, really, really captivates you. I think that one thing that happens, and I think it happens in everyday practice, in addition to it really happening now in this crisis time, is that we get bogged down in our own stuff. And that's really natural and that's really normal. But it also means that sometimes we forget that other people have their own stuff as well. And so when I think about all of the challenges that we are all facing right now, they are plentiful, but they are also incredibly unique. And so we are all in this storm together, but we are not all in the same boat. And so when I think about why that's meaningful and why that's important, it means that we do need to slow down and look at, hey, what's going on for this person? What do they need to feel safe, secure, and continue to be a productive individual performing in our team. We need to ask that to ourselves. And then we also need to be aware that, you know, between ourselves and our team, there's also this sort of whole other group of people, our clients, that we need to be really aware of because their ground is shaking just the way ours is and and no one is behaving at their best. So when I thought, you know, what is, what is a really important, what is going to be a helpful thing when we think about how to get through the current situation, I think if we start with compassion, if we start with what, what are you going through? How can I support you? How can I support myself? What am I going through? How can I support my community? I think all of that is going to foster the relationships that we need to come out of this in a constructive way. So we're talking about uh, compassionate leadership. And I'm thinking to myself as the owner of a practice, you're giving a lot to all of your staff. You're giving a lot to your clients because clients have more needs now. They're going through an uncertain times and they're confused. They can be irrational. They can be more emotional. They can be more upset. All Everything is a bit more. And then you're thinking, okay, I'm giving a lot to my staff. I'm giving a lot to clients. How am I taking care of myself? How can I be compassionate to myself? So I'm so glad that we get to start here because while self-compassion isn't something that a lot of people really love to talk about, it's a really critical thing because when we aren't able to be compassionate to ourselves and acknowledge our struggle and acknowledge things that are hard, it really limits our ability to be compassionate with others. And most people would say, no, no. And I'm here to tell you that it's not, no, no, I can be compassionate to others and I can just hold all of the high expectations for myself. I am here to tell you, and I know this from having lived it, that when we are more compassionate with ourselves, our ability to be genuine and authentic and compassionate with others increases. And so when we think about what self-compassion looks like, there's some wonderful research done by Kristen and she talks about the three components of self-compassion, mindfulness, kindness, and common humanity. So mindfulness is all about noticing and not being judgmental about what's happening. So really just an awareness of 
what's going on in your body, what emotions you're having, what experiences you're having. Kindness is doing the best you can, treating yourself like you would a good friend. And then common humanity is knowing that you sort of suffering, for lack of a better word, or having a difficult time is, is something that is very universal in the human experience. And so you're not alone. You're not the only one who's made a mistake. You're not the only one who's worried about keeping your practice, or your business afloat. You're, you're not the only person who's going through those experiences, even though their experiences will look different. The themes underneath them are the same. So what practices of self-compassion look like are going to be different for everyone. But what I would really encourage you to be open with, and only with yourself, is being able to say to yourself, man, this is a really hard time. I have all of these balls up in the air, and I am scared of what's going to happen if they come down. And only you know what balls you have in the air. You know, practice, employees, clients, maybe kids at home, homeschooling, what's going on with your partner? Do you have um, health concerns? Is anyone in your circle at high risk? all of those things, you are the only one who knows what they are, but I'm going to ask you to be gentle with yourself. Because as much as all of your different circles are going through COVID-19, so are you. This experience we are all having is incredibly difficult because it is threatening our safety and our security. And that presents huge challenges in functioning to all of us because our evolutionary drive and our midbrain is, is really trying to hijack our higher functioning in our cortex. So as much as we can, try to slow down, acknowledge that you're having a tough time, compassion starts with yourself, and then you're going to worry about everybody else after. So a couple of questions that helped me a lot understand it better. So are there techniques you can use to identify that maybe you're not being as compassionate to yourself as you'd like to think you are. As veterinarians, we're perfectionists. Striving to be perfect often gets in the way of being great or even just good because that's such a stress. So how do we look at ourselves? Well, we'll get to how we deal with other people in a bit, but how do we look at ourselves and going, you know what? You're still being a little bit too hard on yourself. I would encourage you to listen to the voice that you use to speak to yourself. I should is a really powerful and generally unhelpful thing to start sentences with. I need to, I have to, I did a bad job, I failed. All of those things, our internal dialogue is really meaningful. And so if you stop and say, would I have said that to a friend? And usually, almost always the answer is no. I never would have talked to a friend like I talked to myself. And so for me, thinking about my internal dialogue has been a really powerful way to short circuit some of my taskmaster thinking. But also knowing that I have spent quite a bit of my life being really driven, driving myself really hard. And so that taskmaster part of me has served me very, very well. And so there's no sense in saying, hey, you're really not helpful. Could you be quiet? Because I'm not going to respond very well to that. That's in some ways all that I've known, or certainly all that I knew until a few years ago when I started being really involved in wellness. And so it's sometimes more effective to say, thank you. Thank you for helping me be my best. Thank you for driving me. Right now, I'm going to ask you to sit down because I'm just going to have a moment of kindness. 
And it's also, again, for me, I I love research. Research actually says that self-compassion is more important to performance than a number of other indicators. So you may think that being really hard on yourself is going to help you achieve more. But generally, that's not true. And so that's something else that I try to remember when I'm feeling like, geez, I have to, or beating myself up, or, you know, this past weekend I had work to do and I didn't do it. And I sat down today and I was like, oh man, I really should have. And I was like, you know what? I really needed a break. And the odds are that I will get it done in way less time today. And I have way better memories of my family. And that's really what I needed. And it's okay for me to meet my own needs. So I'd really encourage you to check your internal dialogue when you are thinking of, am I being compassionate or not? Think about the language you're using to speak to yourself. And instead of thinking of taskmaster, think about how would I talk to a friend? Think about what, what if I was my own cheerleader? What would it sound like if I was cheering myself on instead of jeering at myself for not doing as well as I wanted? Well, because so many of us, I mean, when we have that taskmaster voice, it's it's a voice of another person, whether it's a parent or an older sibling, somebody that has whatever voice it is in your in your mind that is a soundtrack of your life and achievement. When you were just talking, I kept on thinking of like, well, if I was a high level athlete, there's task mastering, and then there's like, you know, you're getting paid millions of dollars to work really hard. And I think so often that's who we look at, is we look at those people who are phenomenally successful, and it's usually athletes, but it could be business executives or could be other veterinarians, and you don't necessarily realize the dark side of what it took to get that person there. So I think that's never a good road to go down when we start comparing ourselves to other people who are high achievers because I don't know necessarily if they're always the happiest of people and their teammates are also being paid multi-million dollars and so everybody's got a, a different framework than working in a happy collegial healthcare team which I think is a different thing altogether so that brings me to my next question and that is what are some of the characteristics or some of the actions that a compassionate leader would do to their staff I think particularly right now, it really includes being interested in them as people. So asking open-ended, how are you questions? What do you need? You can ask really directed, do you feel safe? What do you need to feel safe? How are things going at home? What do you need to be able to be your best self while you're here? So I think that it really does start in, hey, what's going on for you? Help me understand your experience. When we think about empathy as an idea, empathy is all about understanding someone else's experience. And in order to understand anyone else's experience, we need to hear about it firsthand. And I think that this experience of COVID-19 is in some ways a really great sort of experiment because we are all experiencing the pandemic that is COVID-19. But what my experience of this is looks very different from your experience, Mike, looks very different from other colleagues and friends that I have. And so I think that it's really important to remember that, yes, we are all stressed. We are all scared. Um, You know, there are a number of things that are, are universal about this experience, but then there are a whole bunch that get really heavily influenced by our personal life situations. And so it becomes important to engage with 
members of your team and understand what's going on for them. Is their partner's job secure? Or are they isolated maybe at home and really, really lonely? So the idea of maybe not being able to work for part of the week because you split into teams is devastating because they're losing all of that sort of ability to be out in the world. And maybe they're an extrovert. And so they are shatteringly lonely, right? So it becomes really important to start with understanding that person's experience and just being present in that conversation and really listening. So if somebody is not used to being a compassionate leader, or this is new to a lot of people, how do you start? Because I mean, if, if people are used to seeing you as a leader or a practice owner in one way, and then, okay, you, you show up tomorrow and you're asking these questions that you maybe have never asked before or show some concern, or I think some people are being like, what's wrong with this person? This is not the behavior I'm used to. Are there ways of just introducing it or to ramp yourself up so it's not like a too abrupt a change because I think to capture new habits, it's hard to transform ourselves radically right away and expect it to succeed. Radical change is honestly rarely a good idea. Small steps are awesome. And so I think that if compassionate leadership has not historically been something that you have adopted, I actually think that the current world situation is a really great excuse, if you need one, to start. And you could say, you know, I've been, we've been talking about this, talking about it with a friend, you listen to a podcast, you talk with your partner, and it's really important for you, and hopefully this is true, to make sure that everyone is okay, because this is an unprecedented time, and it's scary. And I think there are other ways of, you know, in looking at how to have a conversation or what the other pieces of that conversation are like, I think transparency is also really important. So the same way that I hope that people are able to engage with their their colleagues and the staff of their clinics about what's going on for them, it might be beneficial for practice leadership to share with their team what's going on and saying, hey, you might not understand some of some of what's going on on our leadership team. And I want to, you know, we want to share with you, you know, this is our plan for, you know, keeping everybody on payroll or shifting things, or this is how we're going to boot back up when this is over. This is why maybe we're still having people in the clinic because we need to keep cash flow or pay rent. So whatever it is that you can be transparent about, about what's going on for you, and even, hey, I, I am worried and one of my top priorities is this. And so, you know, you may be frustrated with, with us for know, delaying going to curbside or whatever small, you know, any number of frustrations that are normal and natural in a team. But you can share and be transparent with those so people understand your experience. And that's a really powerful way of, in some ways, demonstrating the openness that you're hoping your team will return when you ask them questions, I know my boss, she's having a really difficult time homeschooling her kids. Luckily, my son's only in kindergarten, so that's not a significant part of our reality right now. You know, but it's helpful for me to know what's going on for her so that if I'm feeling, you know, frustrated or confused about maybe deadlines or a weird email she wrote, then I know where she's coming from. I know what's going on in her day. And similarly, she knows what's going on online. And that allows us to be patient, to be kind, to be understanding, instead of then having sort of a more 
conflict-based, like, oh, hey, now I'm annoyed, now there are hurt feelings, and then she's frustrated with me, right? And some of this circles back to, you know, how do we manage, because we all have finite capacity. We have finite capacity for any number of things, but compassionate is actually, compassionate leadership, compassionate care, compassionate relating to other people is something that fuels itself. So when we are compassionate to others, it fills their bucket, it fills our bucket, right? And then we have more to give. It fuels itself, right? Instead of it just detracting. And that I think is a really important thing to remember, which is that when we have positive interactions, they fuel us as well. Whereas some of the other roads we could take where it is more of a taskmaster or a less supportive environment, those take a lot more out of us and they don't give anything back. You know, I think those are some good tips that anybody can pick up on how to how to start being a compassionate leader. I guess the question then comes like, when is it overdone? Like, when do you go overboard, especially if this is something new? That's what I worry about because then, you know, the question I can hear some people saying, well, you know, there's boundaries, um, you know, how personal is too personal? Can you overdo this? Look, I love boundaries. And I think that it is important for us all we aren't all getting together in our pajamas, having a pajama party on Friday night. We, we're not having a sleepover party. This is, you know, professional relationships. Generally, I think that asking open-ended questions in some ways keep you very safe because it allows the other person to decide how much they're sharing. Okay. And I think that it does also need to be really clear that while you care, you are also not going overboard into fixing their problems. So you can be supportive right? And maybe say, okay, does that need managing right now? Like, do you, do you need some time? Do you need some space? What do you need? But the other person needs to decide what they need. And remembering that, you know, your job is, is to be there, is to be supportive, but, you know, you are not their entire support network. And so some of that needs to be, if they're having a really hard time, what supports do you have? Are you able to access them right now? And depending on your practice structure, you may have an EAP that they're accessible to. There are provincial supports in Ontario, and there are quite a number of of worldwide supports if anyone needs them right now. A first easy one is almost always their GP, their physician. But there are lots of supports that you can encourage people to access if needed. And so... I think that the boundaries piece is really critical. So it is a, it is about caring. It is about being obvious in your caring, but also knowing that you don't need to fix their problems. That's not your job. Your job is to you know be managing your practice, be a supportive leader, um, lead by example, and taking care of yourself. That I feel is something that I feel really strongly about. You need to walk the walk and showing them how you're taking care of yourself. And then hopefully give them the space that they need to do that. And that needs to be through open conversation and you asking them what they need, if there is anything. That's awesome. I really like that. I think, you know, one of the things with Oculus, what we've always really focused on is making people first businesses and that you're only as good as the people within your practice. And that's why we've really been pushing the employee engagement surveys to help us understand, you know, how engaged we are in the practice. And I think, you know, it doesn't have to be a top-down leadership. It doesn't have to be very hierarchical. It doesn't have to be command and control. And I think 
uh, one of the things, and this is just me getting on my soapbox a little bit, as I think with this COVID-19, is that it's accelerating a lot of changes that are going to happen, whether through technology or through disruptions or what have you. The vet practices that really prosper are the ones that have wonderful relationships with their employees, and the leadership is very engaged. They're not on high pedestals, and they demonstrate the compassionate leadership that you talk about. And I think that's where we're going not every practice owner will buy into this, but I think this is where the world is going. And I think particularly, you know, people just, you know, there are too many options out there once the economy gets back going again, that talented people are not going to be put up with being not considered a, you know, human being, part of the team, creative, a contributor. And so I think we want the best out of people. This is the way we have to go. I think that it's really desperately important to acknowledge that right now we are together experiencing a trauma. This experience, this pandemic, this COVID-19 is, is coded in our bodies as a trauma. And that means that our sympathetic nervous system is really keyed up. Our fight, flight, or freeze response is really keyed up. And when that happens, we get really sticky to our experiences. So anything that's happening during this time is going to get sort of very tightly stored in our in our memory banks in our in our bodies. And so what that means for me is that people are going to remember how they were treated during this time. And I think that it makes it critical if you want to have a successful practice when again when this is over that you treat people well because if people aren't being treated well, they might stick around for now because everything is very very uncertain, but when the world is going again, they will go and find someone they believe will treat them better. So right now in sort of in COVID-19 chaos, I'm not really concerned about overdoing compassion. There's someone on our team who had to go to China. That's where his family was from. He had to travel um, the last two weeks of February. He got back early, early March. And I said, he's an exchange student, so he doesn't know very many people in Canada. I said to my boss has said, we might need to make sure he can get groceries while he's self-quarantining at home. And that would not really be something I would generally, I don't know the student very well. I'm not close with him at all. And that's not something I would generally consider would be a coworker or sort of a company responsibility. But in the time of COVID-19, I did think that was something really important that we check in with him about. Is he okay? Is he safe? Does he need anything from us, A, to, you know, support his own well-being and also to support the well-being of our community so that he would be able to self-isolate effectively, having just traveled internationally and so on. So I think that it's critical to understand the role of this time and of trauma and how we're all going to process it in looking forward, because that's going to, it means it's meaningful for clients. It means it's meaningful for staff. It's meaningful in our families. We really need to put the humans first because this is sticky, much, much stickier than usual because of the trauma piece. Wonderful. Anything we should have discussed that we didn't? I uh, said so this is a new um, definition for me, so I want to make sure that I haven't omitted anything. One thing that I have been hearing is that because most clients are now not allowed in practices, it has perhaps allowed an environment where the bad mouthing of clients or perhaps some gossiping about clients has gotten a little bit out of control. 
has gotten considerably more ramped up than usual because there's there are no checks and balances. There are no clients in the building anymore. And so, you know, at the start of this, Mike, you mentioned that clients are not their best selves. And I think it's really important to be compassionate towards clients as well. Right now, as, as a population, we are all worried about our ability to get healthcare. We are all worried that I'm worried my four-year-old's going to break his arm when he's goofing around and on his bike. And I really don't want to have to go to the emergency room. We are all worried about accessing healthcare for our families. We're all worried about if there's going to be a ventilator for them. And so we know that people's pets are part of their families. And so people know that vet care is limited right now by whatever sort of local regulations there are wherever you are. And so people are really worried. And I think it's important to recognize that. So when they call and they're pushing a nail trim or they're pushing anal glands or you know, a follow-up lameness recheck, that they are worried about getting healthcare for their family member. And so it's important to be compassionate to that concern. So instead of demonizing that client and, and being really frustrated, trying to take a deep breath, where are they coming from? What do they need? How can I meet that need while holding the boundaries that we have based on what our practice is willing to do, what our local governing bodies are willing to let us do, and so on. And I think in the case of horses, also being compassionate because a lot of clients can't even see their horses right now. So really being aware that we are all worried about getting health care for our families, pets as part of that. So Yes, compassionate leadership for yourself, compassionate leadership for your staff and your teams, and compassionate relating to our clients, because we do want those clients to hang around. We do want to continue to engage them effectively. We do need to hold our boundaries and our professional standards, and we need to be doing that with compassion, because they deserve that too, because they aren't, for the most part, trying to be really difficult they are having a hard time, just like we are. And it's our job to sort of try to rise above and, and meet their needs the best we can. I think that's a perfect time to stop. That is, I think, the right message. And I think none of us know what's going on through the minds of others. This is all brand new. So a little bit of grace and a little bit of compassion will go so, so far with everybody that we interact with. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Colleen. Thanks for spending the time with us. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.